Well, good evening and welcome to church. It's great to be together with you all this evening. Uh, for those who I haven't met yet, my name's Lachlan. I do hope you can stick around later this evening and join us over dinner and over supper. I'd love to get to know you a bit and hear what God has been doing in your life so far. It is wonderful to hear from one another how we've been impacted by Corinthians, yeah? Uh, I think that's a good practice for us to keep getting in as church. It kind of safeguards against us thinking that church on a Sunday is just a performance. You know, you come and you sit in these rows and you look at the front and you can fall into thinking that you're just coming and attending something and watching at the front. But that's not what church is. We're a family that gathers to encourage one another and speak the truth to one another in love and remind one another of what is true in Jesus. So it's helpful to have those times where we get to share with one another over the mic, uh, remember what we are as a church family. Uh, For me, as I read through 1 Corinthians in this past series, I think the thing that stuck out to me was the first half of chapter 11. really loved seeing that passage that first for me was the passage I went to and I was, it was like the awkward uncle that Rowan talks about, you know, you want to hide it away. But as we looked through that passage, seeing that no, God's creation of gender is a beautiful complementarity, a beautiful unity in difference. So that was a great thing for me to reflect on. Um, we have been working through Corinthians and that's our standard pattern at church to pick a book of the Bible and just work passage by passage through it. Uh, We're going to start next week a series in Luke. We're jumping in at chapter 9. In between, I thought it'd be worth taking a break and just stepping back. And throughout Corinthians, we've been called to do everything for the glory of God. So I thought tonight we'd just look at Psalm 100 and see in this very short psalm the goodness of God. It's really on view here. So I'm looking forward to pressing into that with us tonight. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you have gathered us here tonight. No one is here by accident. It's all your design that we have come from whatever we've been doing earlier this day, from however our week has been, from however our life has been so far. You've brought us here tonight to hear your word and to get to know you better. Thank you that you do make yourself known to us. And I pray that tonight as we reflect on Psalm 100, Uh, the truths that we see here about you and your character would not just stay in our head, that they wouldn't be intellectual ideas that we toss around and find fun to explore, but that they'd sink into our hearts and inspire great joy and gladness within us. Uh, That's not something that I can achieve with my words, Father, only you can do that by your spirit. So please do. Please be at work tonight, affecting our emotions, shaping us to respond to you rightly with gladness as we reflect on who you are. Amen. We do feel a lot of emotions as humans, don't we? Happiness, fear, anguish, joy, ambivalence, sadness, surprise. And all of that's just in one episode of The Bachelor. (laughs) I haven't actually watched The Bachelor. Any Bachelor fans amongst us? Are you a confessor? No, you shouldn't confess that. Anyway, Um, the only emotion I felt while watching The Bachelor, the one episode that I had to go through, was anger that I had to be watching it and impatience that it would finish quickly. Um, But we do feel all these emotions in life and they can be uncomfortable. We can go on a roller coaster of ups and downs. We just want to get off and we want stability. Uh, In the classical Greek philosophy, there were kind of two responses to these emotions. You had, on the one hand, the Stoics. Now, the Stoics responded to emotion by promoting strong will If life is hard, if destructive emotions are getting at you, they're raging within you, well, you know, just suck it up. Let your will override your emotion. Uh, As my friends used to say in high school, eat some concrete and toughen up. Uh, That's the stoic response. 
And if life is good, well, don't get too complacent about that. It's not going to be good for too long. Just keep plugging away. Let your will override your emotion. On the other hand, you had the Epicureans. Now, they responded by promoting indulgence. Whether life is good or bad, just find the good things in life and indulge in them. Chocolate, ice cream, uh, good wine, or even for the Epicureans, it was just that, I, I guess what we would now call mindfulness would be something that they promoted. The mental pleasures, that enjoyment of philosophy, of getting away to a quiet space. There are two options that were available, toughen up and just suck it up or indulge in the good things and let either of those responses deal with your emotions. Perhaps you hear yourself in one of those two responses tonight. You can sense which one you tend towards. The book of Psalms, as we come to the Bible, it gives us a way to respond to our emotions. It gives us God-inspired words to express our emotions not to hide away from them, not to pretend that they don't exist, not to cover over them with indulgence, but to express our emotions. God teaches us through the Psalms how to respond to Him in the midst of our daily experiences and all the feelings that come to birth through those experiences. Not the majority, but the biggest category of Psalms that we find are actually Psalms of lament, Psalms written in the midst of difficulty, and they have this basic form of saying to God, hello, are you there? It doesn't really look like you're there right now. Can you see what's happening in my life? This really sucks right now. Can you hurry up and do something, God? And then as the psalm goes on, the psalmist comes to this point of realization, okay, no, God is there. He knows what's happening. It will be okay. Lots of these psalms of lament. And if you find yourself feeling down and distant from God, well, flick open to some of those psalms. Find them and use the words that God has given to express that emotion. Alongside those, there are also a stack of psalms that are thanksgiving psalms or praise psalms. Psalm 100 fits into that category. In the ups and downs of our emotional lives, what Psalm 100 provides for us is what I've called on the outlines there, a deep wellspring of gladness. A place that we can come that never runs dry. A place that we can come and quench our thirst, drinking deeply of the truths about God in there. See, our joy as Christians, it's not contingent on our circumstances. Circumstances will vary and change. Sometimes life will be wonderful. Other times life will be horrible. But throughout that, we do have a rock on which we can stand and sing. We see this as we press into the structure of this short psalm should be up on the screen. Notice verse 1 and 2. There are these three commands to be joyful. Shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And then down in verse 4, there are another three similar commands. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. We're being commanded to be happy. How does that work? Can we really control our emotions? My first instinct was to say no. To say, that doesn't really make sense. And, well, this is a song. And so it's not really giving commands. You know, it's just sweeping us up into what the song is about. Uh, Kind of like the song that I hoped to be singing yesterday afternoon, Cheer, Cheer, the Red and the White. Uh, But the Sydney Swans didn't win the AFL Grand Final. It was a sad day. So I didn't get to sing that team song. But when you sing, Cheer, Cheer, the Red and the White, or any kind of sporting song, you you're not commanding other people to cheer. You're, you're expressing what you are doing. You're expressing that you are cheering. And that's, that is what's happening in this psalm. 
It's not really commanding us to shout triumphantly. It's describing what we are doing. So I thought I could get away from saying that we're commanded to be joyful. Until I remembered Philippians 4, where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. So there is this sense throughout Scripture that we're commanded to be joyful. Not necessarily happy, but this joy that can relieve anxiety and give us peace. How does that work? Well, see, as Christians, while we may sometimes join those psalms of lament, and they're all there to help us cry out to God in sadness and despair and grief, at the same time, we always have access to this deep joy and gladness, this deep joy and gladness that comes from who God is. So in between those commands for joy in Psalm 100, we're given these five reasons to be joyful. Notice the way that the structure unfolds. Verse 3, all these commands to be joyful acknowledge that Yahweh is God. You know something that gives rise to the joy. Verse 5, more commands to be joyful than 4. Why be joyful? Because Yahweh is good. So in between these calls to sing come these truths about who God is and what he's like. This is the basis for our gladness in a turbulent world. It's helpful to remember that as we come to sing as a church, actually, our, our emotional response in singing these happy songs, it's not, it's not vacuous, it's not an empty joy. It's not just whipped up by the good musicians that we have that are playing songs with good rhythms that we like, and so we, we get joyful about that. That's possible, right? You, you can be singing just because you like a song, and then you realize what you're singing, and, and that happens. But that's not the kind of singing that pleases God. It's not the kind of singing that actually praises God. What we should be doing as we sing is reflecting on the truths of who God is, and that should be giving rise to our joy. The joy that delights God is the joy that delights in God. The basis for our gladness in a turbulent world is, is the knowledge and understanding that we have as we ponder these five truths about Yahweh tonight. We'll look through these five things that Psalm 100 gives us, and I, I do hope and pray that this will buoy your heart and move you to praise. So come with me as we walk through these five truths about God. They're pretty simple truths in the way that they're expressed, but there's a great depth that means you could ponder them for hours. Firstly, there in verse 3, Yahweh made us. You are no accident, muddling your way through a hostile world. You are no animal with just the same kind of value and dignity to the elephant or the dog or the ant. You are a thought-out, planned, designed creation of a personal God. In Genesis 1, God makes humanity, male and female. And he makes us in his very image and likeness. And he invests us with authority to rule over the world under his overarching rule. And God looks at this creation that he's made, uh, full of all the animals and all the plants and with humanity in the center. He looks at it and says... It's very good. He's not using good in the moral sense, saying that it wasn't evil in any way. He's, he's using good in an aesthetic way. He's looking at it going, I'm pleased. I'm happy with what I've made. This looks nice. This looks good. This looks fitting and suitable. If you think about that for you personally, God is pleased with you as his creature. 
God is pleased with you as a work of his creation. Uh, Elsewhere in the scriptures, there are different images of the way that God created. Sometimes it'll talk about God being like a potter who takes his hands and works the clay, forming it. That's a very personal, up-close image. Genesis 2 uses this kind of language. It has God taking the dust of the earth and forming the man from it. And it gets even more up close and personal. It has God breathing the breath of life into you. I like the picture of someone doing CPR, God breathing the breath of life into humanity. God is not distant in creation. He's up close and personal and intimate. Now, I've got a friend who has just taken up pottery again. His partner's an artist, and so he thought for a hobby they'd get some clay and work it together. It's been fantastic seeing his joy as he shows me the photos of what he's been creating. He just got some porcelain. He's promised to make me an espresso cup from that. Looking forward to seeing that when it comes true. Uh, But he's shown me photos of all the different things that he's made, teapots, cups. Uh, He is so excited to show me what he's been creating. And as he talks through the process, it does require care. It's not a, a fast process. It's not something that you can just do without thinking. When we think of it in that way for God, you know, God is our potter. There's, there's a sense of ownership. God's made us. He owns us. He cares about us. He's made us. He's designed us. He, he cares what we do. He cares what happens to us. He's made you and designed you down to the very detail of every hair that is on your head every freckle on your skin, every pore that might get clogged sometimes. God knows those ones as well. Now, are there things about your physical appearance that trouble you? Does that sometimes get you down as you are concerned about what you look like? Or are there things about your physical or mental abilities that make you anxious and cause you to doubt yourself? God created you. He delights in you. Your body and your mind are perfectly designed for you to fulfill God's purpose. He could have made you different. He really could have, but he didn't. He didn't want to. He wanted to make you. Listen to Psalm 139 as David rejoices in this truth. Reading from verse 13, if you wanted to jot it down and look it up later. It was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know this very well. You are a work of God and you are wonderful. That's the first truth tonight that inspires enduring gladness. Yahweh made us. A second truth, it's still there in verse 3. We are Yahweh's flock. We are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, at first, that doesn't strike me as too much of a cause for joy. I'm now being compared to a sheep, you know. I don't really think too highly of sheep. They don't do too much. Uh, I feel like I'm a bit more than a sheep, personally. Uh, But there is a joy in this truth. Because the focus is on how God relates to us. If we are his sheep, then he is our shepherd. As you read through the Bible and look at this theme of the shepherd, two, two ideas are tied up with it. On the one hand, there's the idea of provision. And on the other hand, the idea of protection. The shepherd is the one who provides and protects his sheep. So the good shepherd provides for his sheep. He leads them to the best grass. They don't know where the best grass is. They can just see in front of them. 
uh, but the shepherd takes them to where he's seen good green long grass so they can just stand and munch and fart and munch and sleep and whatever else sheep do. Uh, I don't think they do much else other than that. They've got a pretty chill life. The shepherd has led them to where they can find the good food and then he'll take them to the good water where they can relax from all their tiring work of munching and farting and sleeping and they can drink deep and get refreshed. The good shepherd provides for his sheep and so it is with God. We're his sheep. He'll give us what we need. Doesn't mean that God always provides us with the things that we think we need but he knows our needs better than we do. Perhaps you get disappointed sometimes when a work opportunity falls through and you thought it would be great, you thought this would be perfect for you. Or perhaps you think you need to be earning as much money as the person sitting next to you at church. The problem when we get down about things like that, it's not that God hasn't provided for us, but that our desires are misplaced. We think we need things that we don't actually need. Paul says something in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 verse 8. I was reading this recently with a friend and it really struck me and challenged me with where my current desires are at. 1 Timothy 6 verse 8, he says, We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. That's a pretty short list of needs. Food, clothing. I wish Paul had added in a hot running shower. Uh, that I think I need to be content, but maybe God won't have that for me down the future. Uh, food and clothing. God knows our needs. He'll provide. He is our shepherd. The good shepherd is also the one who protects the sheep from all the wild animals that might be out there to kill them. The lions and tigers and bears and wolves. Uh, the shepherd had his staff. The one that you see with little Bo Peep and the little crook on the end. Uh, that's not just to look pretty. Now, that was a weapon. Uh, it was a weapon that the shepherd could use to fight off the wild animals. Because if you think about sheep, they're pretty vulnerable, right? I walk up Colonel Park, up One Tree Hill, and see all the sheep there. I'm like, I could totally just run up and catch one of you. You got nothing. <laughs> what, what kind of protection do you have? Uh, sheep are vulnerable. Rams, sure, they have their horns, but the sheep, they've got nothing. And so the good shepherd was the one who would look after them. And with the shepherd watching over them, they were safe. So it is with God for us. Hear the way that Psalm 23 picks up these two sides of God's relationship to us, the provision and the protection. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Perhaps you've been going through some dark valleys lately. Perhaps even now you can't see any light. You just feel like you're walking through a a thick fog and you can't see the end. Or maybe you're at a point where you can't even walk. You're just paralyzed standing there, not, not able to do anything in that darkness. If that's you tonight... It will be okay. God is with you. He has his rod. He has his staff. He will protect you. Nothing can separate you from him. If he needs to, if you can't move, he'll pick you up and he'll carry you through. God inspires enduring gladness. He he made us. 
and we are his flock. For the third, fourth, and fifth truths, we move down to verse 5. And thirdly, we see there, Yahweh is good. There is no unrighteousness or evil in our God. His, his plans and his purposes, they're always just. They always seek the benefit of his people. That doesn't always mean that life will be good and pleasant for us. No, God doesn't promise that. So we just saw in the psalm, you know, he takes us through these dark valleys. They'll come. Sometimes it does mean discipline, and that can be painful. But God is with us at every step, and he's doing everything for our good, to grow us into the kind of humanity that he created us to be, in his love moulding and shaping us, transforming us for our good. And that comes through into the fourth one, that his love endures forever. His love is eternal. And this gets me every time, because this was the truth that helped me become a Christian back in year seven. This is the truth that carried me through a dark valley when I was in high school. Uh, Because the love that we find in the world, and this was my experience as I moved into high school, maybe your experience now, the love that we find in the world, it's so often temporary and fleeting and conditional. we, We walk on eggshells around people, scared that one false step might mean that they don't love us anymore. We get rejected by people that we want to love us, but they don't want anything to do with us. And we try to construct these facades, these false selves, to be likable people, conforming to the crowd, because we're like, maybe if we change a little bit, maybe if we pretend to be something else, then people will love us and approve of us. We do that for long enough in the world, we can start projecting that kind of love back onto God. We can start thinking that we need to be careful around Him, that perhaps we can't be ourselves around God, that we need to cover up the flaws and the imperfections so that he doesn't see them. Well, friends, God's love is not like the world's love. His love is constant. His love is eternal. He made you. He knows everything about you. He knows those flaws that perhaps you're trying to cover up. He already knows that they're there. He knows your brokenness. He knows your awkwardness. And knowing all of that, he loves you. He doesn't love the person that you'll become in the future. It's not like he's going, okay, I can, I can fix this one up. We'll, we'll love them because like in advance they'll be okay. No, he loves you now for who you are. And fifthly, he is ever faithful. God never breaks his promises. We stand at a point in history where we've got a whole wealth of stories throughout the Bible of God since the beginning of creation keeping his promises. He made promises to Adam and Eve, to Cain, to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, David. And the list could go on. God always kept his promises. Read through the scriptures and see that playing out. This is, again, a wonderful contrast to the world that we live in, where too often people that we love don't keep their word. They break their promises that they made to us. We've got to be careful that we don't project that back onto God. Hear the word of Scripture tonight. God is not like that. His word is sure and true. He will do what he says he will. Five wonderful truths about God that provide for us this wellspring to come and drink deeply of, to find enduring gladness as we walk through our days in this world. Yahweh made us. 
We are his sheep. He is good. His love endures forever. And he is ever faithful. Now this psalm was written by the Israelites in about 1000 BC. And if they rejoiced and thanked and praised and blessed the Lord for his goodness and love and faithfulness in those days, well, friends, how much more for us living on this side of Jesus should we thank, the love, thank God for his love? We've seen in Jesus all of these themes, all of these truths about God magnified, brought to their culmination in the person of Jesus. God in the flesh coming and making himself known. Jesus is our maker. Everything was created through him and for him. He knows you inside and out. And Jesus is our good shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep. When danger was approaching, when we were situated fair and square before the justice of God, deserving death and condemnation for dishonoring God, ignoring him or just treating something else as though it was more important than God, while we were helpless in that state, Jesus died for the ungodly. And perhaps you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Until you turn from dishonoring God and start trusting in Jesus, then you're actually on the wrong side of God's goodness and faithfulness. And God's word for you as you're outside of Jesus is a word of judgment. God declares judgment against all those who would harm the humanity that he loves. See, if God created you, he knows what's best for you. He cares about his creation Like that potter with the clay, he cares what happens to it. And if you're rejecting him and ignoring him, you are actually harming yourself and harming the humanity around you because you're not living in the way that God designed for you to be. And God will not let that go on forever. God will bring judgment on those who harm his humanity. But at the same time as that word of judgment stands, God stands there with his arms open wide, ready to welcome you into his love if you would just turn and receive it, if you would turn and honour him as God. Jesus died for you. Will you receive his love? For those of us, though, here tonight, this will be the majority of us. We're already striving to honour God as God. We're Christian. We've, We've received God's love in Jesus. Well, friends, keep coming back to Jesus. There's no other place to go. And whatever's happening in life, In the good times and in the bad, keep coming back to Jesus. The the cross of Christ, Jesus' death, is the ultimate display of God's goodness and love and faithfulness. Have a listen to Paul in Romans 5 verse 8. God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is where you see God's love proven. I don't know what's going on in your life at the moment. I do know for some of you, for many of you, I don't know what's happening. Perhaps, perhaps life has been rosy. You know, everything's going well in your studies. You're getting A pluses and you've got a great job lined up for the future. You're loving where you're living. Uh, you're just enjoying life incredibly. That's wonderful. Praise God. Give thanks to him. All the good in your life has been provided as a gift from him. Don't turn away from him in the times of good. But perhaps you're in the other boat at the moment and life is far from rosy. Nothing seems to be going right. You can't find work. Your studies are failing. You're going to have to reset subjects next year. Your relationships are all falling apart. You've got no money. Brother or sister, if that is you tonight, 
hear these truths about God. God made you. You are his sheep. He is good. His love endures forever and he is ever faithful. He will stick with you even if you can't see it right now. And the cross of Christ proves that. Whatever situation your life is going through at the moment, keep turning to the cross because I I can't tell you why life is the way that it is now. I can't tell you why these things are happening for you. I can't tell you why you went through that suffering that you did as a child. I, I don't know why. But I can tell you with absolute certainty that God loves you. I can tell you that because he's proven it. Look at the cross where your saviour died. The one who you were scorning and rejecting died for you. God loves you. Know that tonight. The appropriate way to respond to what we've heard here in Psalm 100 is to join this psalm in singing praises to God. So we've saved up three songs for the end of our service tonight. We're going to have a good time singing together. And as we do that, as the band makes their way up now, I want to encourage you through these songs, you know, don't just get whipped up into the emotion of the good music. Look for the truths about God that are expressed in these songs. Let that be the source of joy for you. As we prepare to sing, let me read again the words of Psalm 100, hopefully now filled out with a bit more meaning and significance for each of us. Psalm 100. Shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that Yahweh is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For Yahweh is good and his love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. Amen.